Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey you guys, this is Haley, associate producer at the Webby Awards. Going into this new year, do you have any project goals or cool work you've accomplished that you would love to show off? such as creative online games, unique websites, that really nice TikTok account, or that Substack newsletter you cannot stop reading? At a time like this, it's so easy to think what you would look like in Web 3.0. So I'm sure you or a friend are great at making work on today's internet. If so, I'm here to tell you that there is still a bit more time to enter your work into the 26th Annual Webby Awards, where it'll be seen from the most talented people on the internet. The extended entry deadline is Friday, February 11th. This year, we have a ton of new ways to honor your work this year, including new categories for email newsletters, podcast, social, and even installation experience. Visit webbyawards.com to learn more. From the Webby Awards, I'm David Michelle Davies. This is the Webby Podcast. The story is not over. Thank you. Please get vaccinated. Creativity is a renewable resource. When in doubt, just binge. Hey there, and welcome back to Season 8 of the Webby Podcast. My next guest knows the importance of telling great stories on the internet. When Maya Watson was tapped to run streaming giant and Webby winner Netflix's social presence in the U.S., the company had only one main account to promote over 1,500 original shows. Now imagine if, like me, you started following Netflix's Twitter for updates on the incredible French show, Call My Agent. Did you really want updates on The Circle? They didn't have a strategic way to connect the vast array of stories on Netflix with those who would want to watch them. So Maya and her team created a way. In 2018, they piloted their idea with a vertical that made waves on the internet, Strong Black Lead. In addition to celebrating black stories, Strong Black Lead had a huge cultural impact, greenlit more projects by upcoming creators, and even brought a lot of classic black syndicated shows to streaming, and competitors followed suit. Maya now leads global marketing at Clubhouse. There, she's laying the foundation for what Clubhouse can become and how it can help creators connect audiences and elevate voices. We start off talking about those early days at Netflix. I had been working for Oprah for almost a decade. It's where I spent my career. I say it's like where I grew up um, because I started as an intern on the Oprah show at like 21 or 22 and end up falling in love with her and what she was doing. But after doing that for like a decade, you know, you want to see, can I, can I be great somewhere else? I have been a Netflix subscriber since DVD days, right? So I was definitely getting the red envelopes in the mail. I've been paying attention to their business model and how they completely disrupted entertainment. And I'm fascinated by it. Their culture memo, right, had been shared everywhere. And they actually reached out to me. So this woman, Monica Austin, who's incredible, she was at Facebook and had went over to Netflix and gave them my name. Um, to come in and run social in the U.S. 
And so I said yes, of course, because um, I wanted to see if I could play in the big leagues. The way I described it, it was like it felt like I was at NASA of entertainment. It was like there's data scientists here, there's engineers here, the best people in content and marketing and publicity. And at the time, there was one Netflix account um, across all of the main platforms. And the question that my boss asked me, Eric Pallada, who hired me, he said, we're trying to figure out, we're now in the original content business, how do we meaningfully promote 1,500 originals? Because that's where we're headed. One of the things that we came up with was this idea of what if we were able to build a media company inside Netflix and come at it through the lens of editorial? Because with 1,500 originals, there's no way that you can get those all covered by press, do original campaigns for everything. The hypothesis was what if we built all these different lanes of distribution that were focused on your how you identified your passion or your community as an entry point in for Netflix. And so things like black culture, right? Mm. People who are black very much identify with black culture. What if we had a vertical for parents, Netflix family? What if we had a vertical for geeks and gamers and super sci-fi and genre, which is Netflix geeked? What if we had something for comedy? Netflix is a joke, right? So we yeah. built out all these dis- distribution arms. And the idea was we're going to use content as a way to sell content. So we're going to do storytelling around your favorite shows and films. So when I started, the team was three people. By the time I left the organization, my organization was around like 100. Wow. And I think that I did some of the best work of my life there. So I was just guessing here. I'm trying to imagine. Okay, so there's this like vertical strategy. We can't, at at the base level, we can't tweet. I'm really reducing this, right? It's clearly more elaborate than that. No, it's okay. We can't tweet about (laughs) 1,500 things because it'll be like 6 million tweets and nobody will see them. So you're going to do this big strategy of like Netflix is a joke and all these different accounts. But now, now you have all these different accounts that you have to, you have to like grow and fuel and get followers for and create content for. And I mean, that's, like that's anybody, right. I'm sure most of the people listening to this podcast know that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It was a ton of work. of work. And so the way we started, because ultimately most teams at Netflix are title for focused, meaning it's like you're assigned to certain titles and you see the title from inception to execution on the marketing and, and comm side. And our team, I was like, we're going to build a team that's audience first. We're going to think about the audience first and Netflix content second. Um, which was not controversial, but it was just like, wait, what are you guys doing? We don't get it, right? And now it works, but it it was very like, we're zigging when everybody else is zagging. And so the idea was before we launch all of them, let's pick one to pilot with. And that's where Strong Black Lead came in. And it's so funny because somebody asked me, well, what made you decide to start with Strong Black Lead? I was like, well, I'm black. And so I would know how to talk to black audiences and black culture versus like, I'm not a geek or a gamer. And so the thing was, how do we intersect with culture first and make Netflix second? And so we launched Strong Black Lead actually the weekend that Black Panther launched. And so you had this account that didn't have Netflix in the title. Mm. It just had the Netflix in as a profile across, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and I think is where we started. And we just started tweeting about Black Panther. And we started tweeting about Drake's new album and all the things that would be interesting in a way that had a point of view and, um, you know, had some commentary behind it. And we started to get some traction. 
And so the whole idea was like, we have to have credibility with this audience. And if you're only talking about Netflix, you're not going to gain credibility. Right. And so we started there. And then um, what we wanted to do is say, let's come up with like a big campaign, big moment to um, come out to everybody and say, this is strong black lead to again, like jumpstart the audience in a bigger way. So we almost had this like incubation period where we were honing the voice and the tone and hmm. where can we go? What can't we do? Then it's like, how do we build a big moment, which was ended up being great day in Hollywood for us um, to be a big like consumer facing campaign that then kicked off the rest of the work for Strong Black Lead. And the insight that we were operating off of is that Netflix is the biggest distributor of black content on earth. So in terms of like how many, you know, series, stand-ups, films, um, kids content, um, talent in front of the camera, behind the camera, there's nobody who's doing it on a bigger scale than Netflix. But the, the insight showed us that people didn't know that. Yeah. So what we were trying to show was like, we're going to use Strong Black Lady as a way to tell the story of everything that we have. And that's where Great Dane Hollywood and all this stuff happened. And then we kicked off and... I think it worked because there hadn't really been anything like it in entertainment. And then once that worked, we got the green light and the budget to be like, great, open up 10 of those, right? And so when we hired people, Jasmine Lawson was a person that I hired to run Strong Black Lead. And we were looking for people who had more editorial experience and marketing experience. So we hired former journalists, we hired former editors. To the extent you can, tell me about how does someone go inside of a big company like Netflix? I mean, essentially mm -hmm. like a pure digital company, right? This is like yeah. as pure as it's, I mean, it's literally founded on the idea of, of pure digital content. Um, how does someone go into a company like that? And um, I think now looking at Strong Black Lead, it's like, well, of course we're going to do that. I, I could be wrong, but my guess is then it's not so obvious that it's of course, right? You got to go and it's a big organization and it's, you know, it's a public company and, you're kind of new there and you got to convince all these people to do this thing. Yeah. What was, what was that like? And how, how did you go about that? Man, it's so funny because you're right. Um, now everybody's like, this is so brilliant. <laughs> and at the time, um, I had very senior level executives telling me this was not going to work, but this is always my advice to folks because when I tell the story later, you know, it's like, well, how did you know it was the right thing to do? And I think that I have an entrepreneurial spirit. I consider myself entrepreneurial, and I know what that means now, but I, I didn't really know that about myself at the time, which is like, you're hired to make the company better. And you you know, if I'm not pushing us to do things that we've never done before, or try things that haven't existed before, I don't really feel like I'm doing my job, right? And I think that Netflix had a culture of innovation they also have a culture of like exploration and experimentation. They have a fail, like let's fail fast, mm. you know, and try a lot of things. So I was given space to try. Um, I felt a ton of pressure though. Um, Great Day in Hollywood, we have never done a brand campaign at that level at Netflix ever. And I'm saying, I wanna do something that's for the black audience in a big way, on the biggest stage. It's gonna cost some money. And everybody told me not to do it. And I, the team that was working on it with me, I never let the team know that was working on it, that there was skepticism from leadership because mm. I didn't want it to alter their creative process. I wanted their creative process to stay really pure. 
And as soon as you feel like people don't believe in it or might be critiquing it, you start to make adjustments based on what they think versus what's going to be best for the audience. And I said to myself, if this doesn't work, I think this is the right thing to do so much so that I'd be willing to be fired for this. And I know that's like extreme, but I do think I ask my teams all the time, do you believe in this thing or not? And if not, it's like, stop it. Go find the thing that you believe in. That's such great advice. Well, so let's uh, let's talk about the the spot for a second. Um, yeah. Great day in Hollywood. I mean, this is like this is a oh my God. this is a you know I like to think about things and like how hard is the dive like you know that difficulty of dive score that they give divers. It's like you, how yeah. good you do on it, but how hard it. This is like oh an eight. God. This is like the eight oh out of eight. God. You're like swinging for the fences here, right? Because we've oh all seen. God super bowl commercials where i'm sure they were amazing ideas and they just totally flopped <laughs> and that's kind of what you're going for because you're going for yeah. like a super big flashy shiny yeah. spot with all these incredible filmmakers at it i think it was at the oh bet awards right it was like yeah the, so yeah. we debuted at the bet awards that's right yeah yeah i mean that's that's a lot <sighs> oh my god david it was it was one of those projects when we were working on it i couldn't sleep i was like breaking out in hives I was like having like panic attacks at night because I'm like, this has to work. Because I knew if this doesn't work, we're not going to be able to do any of the stuff that we want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, here's how it happened. So we said, OK, we've got strong black lead. We're like, it's incubating. We're figuring it out. We want a big coming out moment. Um, we had bought the BET Awards the year prior before I got to the company. And I said, can you can somebody buy us a 60 second spot? I go to the, the media team. And they're like, yep, that's good. That's going to be something that we buy. And I said, okay, that's going to be our strong black lead spot. Hold it for me. And we, me, um, a gentleman named Miles Worthington, who's still at Netflix, um, who worked for me, and Jasmine was there at the time, and a few others said, okay, what is the goal here? We don't want to do like a sizzle. Like a sizzle's boring, right? Which is just like, right. here's all the different shows, right? And clip, clip based, like, blah, who cares about that? Right. We're like, we want this to be a piece of art. Like, and the goal here is to show the depth and the breadth of black people on, on Netflix. And we brought in a partner, Camp Grizzly was our partner on this, um, which is an all black agency as well. We brought them in and we said, okay, this is the brief. This is what we're trying to do. It needs to feel artistic. And they came back with this idea. They said, great day in Hollywood. And inspired by the great day in Harlem photo yeah and the thing about the great day in harlem photo that like if you're black you've seen that photo in either your grandparents home your aunts your uncles cousins it's somewhere in the family everybody has this photo and it's so incredible because it shows not just like well-known jazz musicians in harlem but it also shows up-and-coming voices that when they were photographed people didn't know who they were and that Harlem was a renaissance. And it was so translatable to what Netflix was doing with black content, which is like, there's a renaissance happening at Netflix. And there are, there are people that you know, like Spike Lee and Ava DuVernay and Laverne Cox. And there's people you don't know, like Caleb McLaughlin and the kids from On My Block and new names that you're going to know because of Netflix. And so we're like, man, what if we could recreate that photo? And to do something like that requires a lot of talent to say yes, right? And so we're like, okay, let's just put some feelers out there to see if talent would say yes. 
And instantaneously, everybody just started saying yes. It was so overwhelming that it was like, we didn't get any no's. I'm having chills right now, just like thinking about that moment. Like that is a moment we knew this is going to be so fucking epic. This all came together in less than a month. And we got 47, I think, talent. Yeah, I so mean, you imagine the, the pullout shot is just like, you're like, oh my God. It's like, yeah. Imagine 47, 47 talent schedules, publicists, agents, managers. And so, you know, we're, we started meeting every day as a team, every day, five o'clock. What's the update? What's the update? And then the project got bigger because then we're like, we need the talent team to help manage all this talent. We need the music licensing team. We need legal. Like, and so by the end, before the shoot happened, the room started with three or four people working on this project. And then by the end, there was like 30 people. You know, we wrote a script to make it a 60 second commercial. And it's like, let's just keep it really simple. We hired a black director, Lacey Duke, um, who's incredible, who had done some work with Issa Rae. And so the whole thing is like, it's gonna be black top to bottom because that's also part of the story, right? Is that yeah. there's strong black leads everywhere. Yeah. Um, and so when we were thinking about, okay, the set day, how do we make sure that we're gonna make it feel like a family reunion? So we had a DJ in the green room. We had cards where people could play games. We had like their photos. So it felt like a family living room. Like it was like a whole thing. We hired Kwaku Austin to do, we're gonna, we're gonna build a photo studio. And anybody who works in social and digital knows this is a massive content day because you it's you have all these people together. Oh, yeah. You best believe we're gonna maximize content. And so it was incredible. I also haven't talked about this in a while. And I'm like, oh, this is the best work I ever did. And it was so much fun on set. It felt like a family reunion. People were singing like the Black National Anthem. Alfre Woodard was like leading, leading people in song. You know, um, Mike Epps was there. And he, like, it was just amazing. And, and, you know, you don't know how it's gonna be received. Um, the night that it aired in the BET Awards, I was actually in South Carolina at a wedding. So I was with my parents and I was like, we have to get back to the hotel because we have to watch it air. And, you know, you just get nervous. Like the biggest fear I think for a creative is that you put all this stuff into it and then nobody cares. It aired and then it just the love started coming in. It did what we wanted it to do was to say, hey, Netflix is here for the culture. Netflix is here for black audiences. And one of my core philosophies as a marketer is that black audiences are the most influential audiences in culture. And if you want to be a culturally relevant brand, you have to win with black audiences. And in order to win with black audiences, you have to come correct. Um, in this era of Twitter and transparency, it's like people will rip you apart so fast. And so I think because it was like a black team inside Netflix, a black agency, black director, black photographer, everything black, black, black. I think the people felt that like, like, oh shit, like Netflix gets it. I think for me, it was definitely the best, like mm -hmm. career highlight by far. And, and in that industry, mm -hmm. it's like everybody knows, mm -hmm. right? It's, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, you don't even have to go mm -hmm. around. Like everybody knows, everybody talks about who worked on that thing. And right? it's like, yeah. Totally. We watch the BET Awards all the time because it, it is one of the, like, just as like awards people over here. That's like also, 
Um, it is it is always often one of the most innovative, cool, best board shows. It just is, you know. And I I remember watching that. And the thing that stuck with me though was um, also is like people have like really great ideas all the time, but like getting that thing from like that great idea all the way to the finish line like that, and then having it probably be better than what your idea was, my guess, right? It probably is even better than you imagine. That's like, that never happens, you know? So much better. It never happens in the line, the line in there, Aaron Jones at Netflix, he's like on, on the marketing team as well, who really helped to shape the script. There's a line that said, this isn't, this isn't a moment, it's a movement. And like, we meant that, yeah. right? Because I think the other thing that came through was, this isn't just a campaign. This is a body of work that Netflix is committing to in perpetuity. Yeah. And so it's like, we're gonna be talking about this content every day, 365, and we're just here to get your attention. And, and that way, it was also strategically for the business. It's like, listen, Netflix isn't perfect. I think we've, <laughs> we've seen some of that recently. And, um, but it's also, you build equity every day so that when you have moments that aren't ideal, that can be controversial or that upset people, which is inevitable, you've been putting coins in the brand bank every single day. And so when I see Netflix film and Netflix is a joke and Netflix is a joke is now becoming a big comedy festival, that all started from this idea of like, let's take a different approach. Um, and so it makes me proud. And it, you know, it's gotten to a size where um, I get bored. And I started to get bored because I'm like, okay, we've built it. It's like, it's happening. It's running. We added 200 million fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In four years to Netflix's digital ecosystem through that effort. I want to talk about Clubhouse. One last question. Tell me a bit about, like, this had huge, huge cultural impact, right? And it, it, it did a ton of things inside of Netflix that were big. Like, even these other things, like, people don't think about, like, all these black syndicated shows or syndicated shows that were, like, for, like black audiences that didn't kind of exist. Like, everybody knows that Seinfeld and The Office and all these things were out there, but these shows weren't there, started being available. And so there's, like, a million little things like that, right? But tell me... Tell me about like the overall, what you feel like the impact of that was on, on culture and kids continuing to have. Oh man. Um, I think we're still, it's still yet to be seen like how impactful it, it is, but it, it opened up a new way one to do storytelling and to think about marketing mm -hmm. as like using content as a way to market content as opposed to using campaigns as a way to do it. Like I think, there's, there's so many things converging, right? Because you had 
you're going from a theatrical business and a appointment television business to streaming. And the reason everybody did big campaigns, you know, or tried to get people to come and watch Shondaland at 7 p.m. on Thursdays, and you had to spend money and do all these things to get people there, is because you had to get them there. But now you're moving into an era where people get to decide when they want to watch things, how they want to watch things. And so how do you keep their attention, you know? So I think that strategy of like, what does marketing mean in a streaming world is definitely impactful and, you know, HBO followed and Hulu and all this stuff, which makes me really proud. Um, I think the other thing is it showed the value of the black audience on a global scale, which is like a personal thing that's just, it's really important to me. These audiences are the majority, mm. you know, and, and are shifting into the majority, right? I think the census just showed, right? The new census that um, people with different backgrounds are like, are definitely mixed race folks and it's just a melting pot, right? And so to me, putting this audience on the forefront on a global scale, the company like Netflix, I sent, I think sent a signal to everybody, um, you know, who's focused on reaching black audiences and just audiences in general. But then inside Netflix, what it did was, <laughs> we didn't realize it, but it was like, now we have to be accountable. We've started the work. Mm. And so now it's like, we have to be responsible and accountable for this. And that means in terms of how we're casting and you know how we're like creating pipelines, like it, we didn't realize that by doing this external work that it would also transform the company from the inside out. You can't be running that movement ad if you're not, if you're not doing that you stuff can't. yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're not really about it. So, you know, I think we thought we want to do great storytelling. And then by doing the great storytelling, we built this big audience. It's like, okay, we're listening, we're here. Now, what else are you gonna do, right? And so then we were bringing those insights back into content and you know engineering and all these different things. And so the content team had never bought content on an audience level. They never thought about what kind of content would be really great for black audiences because that's not how, um, the, the content is organized, right? Because we don't have any data on people or Netflix doesn't have any data on people. So it's really about your content preferences. But we started to say, what if we were to build a strong black lead collection? What if we were to start to acquire content more intentionally? And so it changed how Netflix also bought content. And so I think all of that, it was like, holy shit, we didn't even know what we were getting ourselves into. But ultimately, the thing that like was like most proud for me is when somebody, people would say in their daily lives, I want to be a strong black lead. I am a strong black lead. They'd be an accountant in Ohio or a therapist in Atlanta, right? And they would tag themselves as strong black lead and had nothing to do with Netflix. And I think that's when you know you've really like transcended something and you broke through in a way um, that really matters. So you moved to Clubhouse. What's the, what's the, what's the, um, oh my God. <laughs> what, what if for Clubhouse for you? There must have been, I'm sure that, right? That's, oh that's got to be part of it. You must have had like a sort of new what if moment there yeah. to decide to do that. Yeah. I mean, man, Clubhouse was so special. I just like sometimes pinch myself, you know, because I feel it's just so fortunate to have these opportunities to be at companies and places that, 
I describe it as being at the epicenter of culture. And I had a career coach one time tell me, you like to be in the room where it happens. Like that is where you gravitate towards. And that is true. Netflix, the Obama campaign, and now Clubhouse. And I truly believe that Clubhouse is going to change the world and change how we interact with people. And so the way I got there was, you know, I tend to know when it's time to go. And uh, I had been at Netflix for about four and a half years. It was just starting to feel stagnant, not because it's not a great company, but for me, it, it was becoming a bigger company. And um, I don't think I'm an operator. Like, I think it's really important to kind of know who you are and like what, what makes you tick. And I think I'm a builder. I think I'm more of an architect. And, um, and so I had like said to myself, okay, it's time to make a change. And I had written down a few things, which were on a personal side, I was going through my own personal, I know there was like a global pandemic, but I'm like, I'm also my own personal pandemic um, and just making a lot of life changes behind the scenes. So I was like, I think I want to leave LA um, and I want to get to Atlanta because Atlanta is, just feels like there's a renaissance and a moment happening for black people there. And I want to be, I want to be there and be a part of it. I have family here. So that means that I either have to find a company in Atlanta or I have to find a company that it's going to allow remote work. So that was one thing. The second thing was I want to lead marketing. I had never had the opportunity to lead um, a marketing function in totality. I had, I've led different parts of it at different times. And I'm like, I want to lead the orchestra. Um, I want to try something new. I think I've been in entertainment most of my career. I want to do something else. The thing that's always has to be super consistent for me is I have to believe in what I'm doing. I can't, I can't fake it. I can't go to a job and not like obsess over the thing. And then Paul Davison, the CEO of Clubhouse, slid into my LinkedIn DMs. And <laughs> Paul Davison, the CEO of Clubhouse, and this was probably, this was a couple weeks after Elon had like done his surprise drop on Clubhouse. And so it was like at the height of like all of the talk. And I'm uh. like, is this real? And I literally responded to him and said, is this real? Are you really Paul Davison? And I said, send me your phone number right now and I'm gonna call you right now. And I called him and he was like, yeah, it's Paul, right? And his like Paul voice. And I was like, how did you get my name? And he was like, that doesn't matter. Let's just talk about the opportunity. And so we started talking about Clubhouse and what his vision for Clubhouse, him and Rohan and he needs somebody to help build the company with him and to oversee communications, marketing, programming, editorial, social, brand, product market. Like it was all of it. Hmm. And I said, oh my God. And I immediately had that same feel- that feeling I had when I was working on Great Day in Hollywood, which is like, oh shit, I can't sleep. My stomach's in knots. I had that same feeling after I got off the phone with him and I was like, damn it, I know I'm going to do this. <laughs> like, I know I'm going to say yes to this. And the truth is, I have been using Clubhouse as a consumer, and um, I was fascinated by it. And, you know, it was a place for me just as a casual user where when things happen in the world, I remember when the, when the elections were happening, people were on Clubhouse discussing and debating. I was learning so much. Or when RBG passed away and the rooms opened immediately of people like mourning and her family coming on, or people debating is Kevin Hart funny 
about our, his latest Netflix special. Like, it was just fascinating to me, this thing. And I, I really could see, you know, where this could go in terms of it being a social network based on voice where people have like the most interesting conversations and um, connect with each other on a deep level. There's something about voice that is so intimate. And so when the opportunity presented itself, I was like, okay, Paul, listen, if you're gonna hire me, here are my non-negotiables. I'm moving to Atlanta. He was like, cool, we don't have an office yet. So we're probably gonna be hybrid and that'll be fine. I said, great. I said, I need to be able to bring my full self to work. And so I just, I need to know that you're gonna like be like very welcoming and inclusive and that I'm going to build the most diverse team tech has ever seen. He was like, that's amazing, right? <laughs> like all of these things that I said that I wanted. And so it happened really fast. And so I said, yes, that was in like March of this year. Yeah. Okay. And so, so tell me a bit about, so you've been there for about, it's like a little less, a little more than six months, seven months. Seven, yeah, seven, seven months, months. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So which, you know, sort of like the amount of time it takes to grok any, any place at the beginning. Right. I think so. You're kind of, kind of up to speed, but it's going yeah. really, really fast, super fast growing, oh you know, there's like tons of press yeah. about it. Everybody has their opinion about it. It's getting a little bit of oh, a man. like, you know, schadenfreude. Everybody loves to like think that the newest internet thing that's super cool isn't really that cool, even though it is cool. There's like a little bit of, you know, that, that, that thing that happens because yeah. people are jealous and you know how that is. Yeah. Um, but so yeah. aside from, let, let's cut through all that. Tell me about yeah. how you think about the world of voice and like podcasts and specific and how you think about it yeah. compared to podcasts and specifically, you know, are you thinking about like, is the way that you're going to tell the story of Clubhouse like through the content of Clubhouse sort of like in the same, is that your guiding mission oh. there? Like it's the same way you're trying to tell the story of, you know, of yeah. sort of like all the stuff happening in Netflix, Netflix through the content for the audiences. Like, is that how you're thinking about it at Clubhouse? Man, it's like, it is, it's been a huge learning curve for me, if I'm being really honest. It's hard. This is hard. Um, and it's what I wanted, it's what I asked for. And it's hard on a lot of levels. I think um, a couple things. One, for me, just like as an executive, never reported into a CEO, never really worked this directly in this tech space. I've never been in a UGC platform. Um, I've never managed these many functions. I've never been at this early stage. Like, right, you think about all of the things, which is like just trying to get your bearings. That's one thing. The other thing is at a UGC platform, you're not really in control, right? Yeah. Whereas like everywhere else that I've worked, it's like you commission the content, you, and you decide how this is gonna go. <laughs> so that's another thing is just to like track with all community, understand their norms and, oh, they're, they're taking this feature and they're using it in a way that we didn't even think about. They're doing this instead of that, right? And so it's a constant like um, understanding of like what's happening today, what's happening now. Marketing is like, you're almost like the accountability coach inside of a company because I think that you are the accumulation of all of your decisions and you can only tell the stories that are true. This is not a world anymore where you can tell people something about who you want to be. It's like, are you that thing or not? And if you're not and you're saying you are, you get called out for it, right? And people are like, that's not true. Yeah. So it's really about alignment around 
who are we? What do we believe? Who do we want to be? And then how do we make decisions that align with that? And I was employee number 15 at Clubhouse. I mean, it's like seven months ago, it was 15 people. It's unbelievable. Oh my God. We're now over 80. Um, and so we've like 10x the size of the company in like seven months. And that scaling this fast, the pace and the attention and the pressure and every other major social platform deciding they also give a shit about social audio all of a sudden, right? Like it is like, what did we just sign up for? But what we've been focused on is a couple things. Is one, we have to understand and define who is Clubhouse, right? And that's work to do with Paul and the founders and understanding the community and like what's true for us. And I think the thing that we've come to is that we believe that Clubhouse is a place where people are going to talk with each other, not at each other. This is a new way, this is a new kind of social. And so the line that we kind of use is, this is a more human place on the internet because this isn't a perfectly curated feed. This isn't a perfectly crafted, you know, text-based post or, you know, an edited video. This is your voice. This is you and your purest form. And therefore it's a deeply human experience. And it's like, if we can create a, a space and a world where people are talking with each other, not at each other. What does that mean for humanity? What does that mean in terms of the decisions that we make, right? So what does that mean in terms of policy? What does that mean in terms of operations? What does that mean in terms of our voice and the language and the colors that we use and all of these things? And so it's been a lot of, if this is who we're going to be, what does that mean in terms of what we do next? So that's been like step two. And then the third thing has been, we need to build a team. <laughs> we need help. So who are the people that we get to, we want to hire? What kind of person, what kind of company do we want to build? Um, what kind of culture do we want to have? Um, and how wonderful that we get to dream it up from scratch. And I'm also looking at it through a lens, which is it's not very often that you get to sit in a seat like this. And so, you better be damn sure that I'm making sure that like inclusion and representation is something that's at the forefront. So I'm super proud that my, my team is more than 70% BIPOC um, already. I, I guess a big question I'm sort of thinking about as you're saying that too, and I've thought about a lot is like, will people be better through voice? Like, is there something about voice that's not like typing at each other? And this gets back to what you're saying about talking with versus talking at. Correct. But that's, that's sort of a big... That's a, that's a big with. part of it, right? I, I think it's true, but yeah. we'll have to see, right? Like, it feels, I'm not going to call people those, I mean, not that I'm a person who types those mean things to people anyway, but it seems like it would be harder to say that out loud than I would do to type it. It's so true. I think, I agree. Yeah. There is some civility that exists in Clubhouse naturally. Like, we didn't all of a sudden say to people, behave this way, do this thing. Now, we have, you know, things put in place where the person who opens a room and starts a club, like they're in control of their space, right? And so they set the rules and the norms to say, we don't tolerate this, we don't allow that, you need to come with this and X, Y, Z. In the best version and on the best day of Clubhouse and on, on any given day, really, it's like there is civility where things can be uncomfortable, right? Um, there was a room um, 
the other night around, you know, the Dave Chappelle stuff has been everywhere, right? And it's a really controversial topic and it's a hard thing to reckon and it's nuanced, you know? And I think that on other platforms, it's like, it's either this or that, right? And it's like, pick right. a side kind yeah. of thing. And then it's like, you're talking about why it's right, you know? But on Clubhouse, it allows for nuanced discussion. There's context here, right? And, um, you know, you had the perspective from, you know, trans point of view and from a black point of view, and it was really intersectional and interesting. Again, when I think about where do I tend to gravitate towards, like I've been really fortunate to be in places that are at the forefront of things. You know, Netflix is at the forefront of entertainment. Oprah's just at the forefront of everything. <laughs> and and I and I feel like Clubhouse is at the forefront of social. So last last sort of big question here is I, I just do you think the ephemeral nature of like tell me how you think about the ephemeral nature of it because first of all I'm thinking like as we know from other places that have ephemeral content there's you know people are more willing to devote you know to post things and say things and be a little bit more candid because they're not worried it's going to be there forever and all that um and so that's important but then i'm also thinking about like wow marketing ephemeral mm -hmm. content now there's a mm -hmm. i mean that's a that's a whole mm -hmm. different can of worms i mean that's like hey it's great and all but try getting yeah. people, try explaining to people oh. they're going to go see something that doesn't exist anymore and they're going to see the next thing that's hard you know how how bigger role is it going to be to to like what Clubhouse becomes? You know, it's a great question. Um, I think the ephemeral nature of Clubhouse is what makes it magical, right? And this idea of, mm. we call it like serendipity. You don't know what's going to happen. And you can be having a conversation about something and somebody pings somebody into the room that's a perfect person for that moment. And that gets turned into just like this awesome experience that you walk away with and you're like, oh, that's amazing, that's great. And then it goes away, right? And I think um, one of the things that we've been talking about internally is like, is that sustainable, you know, um, to build, to, to get to the scale that we want to get to, to do it in a way where it's all ephemeral. And I think what we've decided and we recently announced is that we are introducing replays, you know, recordings essentially. And the reason that we're doing it is not so that it becomes this place where it's just a bunch of recorded content because that would not be interesting. We call it replays because we describe it as like, it's Clubhouse, it's live, but later. So like you can just replay the thing that happened as opposed to um, people coming in and saying, okay, now I need to produce a piece of content. That's not what we want to happen. So we, we're, we're, we're launching replays with the hope that more people get to experience the thing that everybody wants to talk about. What we hope is that it's going to unlock more opportunities for people to discover great rooms, to discover great clubs, to discover great communities, um, so that I can feel like I, I, I'm a part of this thing. But then also for the creators, it gives them an artifact that they can show to other people yeah. to say, this is what I do on Clubhouse. This is who I am on Clubhouse. And so with replays, um, with clips, we just recently introduced clips where people can now share, you know, short 30 second clips. And, and we want to make sure that the ephemeral nature is still there. There's still something about being in the room live because you just don't know what's going to happen. And so our goal is right. to give people, you know, the control so that they can really sh decide what kind of experience they want. 
Maya Watson, we've had like great convo. Just, you know, excited to see what else you do at Clubhouse and, and after. So thank you so much. Amazing. Thank you so much. For, this was so much fun. Thank you so much to Maya Watson for stopping by the studio. We can't wait to see what she and the Clubhouse team do in the future. If you want to keep up with Maya on the internet, you can follow her on Clubhouse or Twitter at Maya Watson. For more information about the Webby Awards, please visit us at webbyawards.com or on most social platforms at The Webby Awards. If you like our podcast, we'd be so grateful if you took a moment to give us a rating or review. As always, you can reach me on social at DMDLikes. Our producer is Kate Mishkin. Our editorial lead is Jordana Jarrett. Music is Poddington Bear. Claire Graves is the mother of two boys. Congratulations, Claire and family. I'm your host, David Michelle Davies, and this is the Webby Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.